in uh, the passage and probably the first thing that comes to our mind as we see it. The first thing that anybody reading this, this story would ask is, how could God demand this? How could he ask any father to kill his own son? In particular, how could he ask Abraham to do this? Abraham, who has waited for so long for a son, who has been promised that this son will be the means by which God not only blesses Abraham's lineage, but who blesses the entire world. John Calvin remarks in one of his commentaries on this passage that literally the whole of salvation for the world is tied up in this child. And now God is demanding his life. Moreover, we ask the question, how could God require something that we learn later in his word he is categorically against? And that is human sacrifice, in particular, child sacrifice. We recognize all through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament that child sacrifice is an abomination before God and that God hates it. How can God ask of this of Abraham? Now, recognize something, though. Abraham doesn't know that God is against human sacrifice at this point. He doesn't have the rest of the Bible. He doesn't even have the Torah yet. All Abraham knows of this God is the ways God has revealed himself himself to him so far in the story. And so maybe we could come and say two big questions to sum it all up. Is The first is we ask, how can God keep his promises to bless Abraham in the world if the promised son dies? And on the other side, how can Abraham be expected to remain obedient with such costly sacrifice set before him? Well, the answer to both those questions is actually the same. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is how God will keep his promises. Jesus is how Abraham will be spared the cost of his obedience. Although it will be centuries before it is completely clear but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's let's stop and 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 deal with the ta- the task at hand and the test at hand. All right. It's important to notice that while it is true that this was a, a heart wrenching test for Abraham, it's actually not so heart wrenching for us reading the story. And this is the reason why. Look at verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham. All right. We are told as the readers from the very first sentence that this is a test, right? God is not actually going to require the life of of the child in the end. God will intervene in some way. God uh, and, and how he intervenes becomes the very point of the story that points us to the gospel. And so in verse two, he says, take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Your son, your only son, whom you love. The verbiage of the story is critical. The word son appears 10 times in in this short passage, and it's often modified with only son, beloved son. 
we know that language. The New Testament harkens back to that verbiage over and over again when we get to the Gospels. And this place that God is telling them to go to, the land of Moriah, most scholars associate that with Mount Moriah itself. That is the mountain that sat adjacent to the ancient Jebusite city of Salem. Salem that Melchizedek, who we've already mentioned in this series, was king and priest over. The city which David would one day conquer, and then as that city expanded, it grew into the city of Jerusalem. And in fact, that Mount Moriah would eventually become the very site where the Jewish temple would be built, where Israel would make its daily sacrifices for centuries. And so the drama of the story accelerates as it continues. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to this young man, to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, we have to ask the question, is that a lie? Is he hiding the terrible act from his sermon, uh, servants? Is, is, is he trying to deceive them and not let them know of the, of this terrible thing that he's about to do? Some commentators think so, but I don't. I believe we see Abraham's radical faith in action. All right. Watch this. So in verse seven, and it says, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son, he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So again, is, is this a deception of Isaac? No, it is Abraham's faith in action. God will provide the lamb. Abraham has seen God's provision already. So it's interesting when you look at this last section that we're we're doing in this series. This is basically the conclusion of Abraham's narrative. The narrative that started in chapter 12 is now concluding here in chapter 22. Now, technically, Abraham lives on until we get to chapter 25. But in the following chapters, what we notice is that the focus shifts away from Abraham, first briefly to Isaac and then on to Jacob. Abraham appears in the next few chapters, but he's not the focus of the story anymore. In fact, in this story of this is the 35th and final time that God speaks to Abraham in the scriptures. Abraham has spent 10 chapters and and 40 plus years witnessing the faithfulness of God. He has watched God protect and provide at every turn. And though there have been some difficult circumstances, certainly, and trying times, God has not once forsaken Abraham. And so this last section forms sort of a bookends of Abraham's story. And the picture of the gospel that we see there is bookended too. Even the language of the end of the story mirrors the language of the beginning of the story. So, for example, there's an interesting little note there where there's a there's a Hebrew phrase, lek leka, which means go to. It's only used two places in the entire Old Testament. 
The first time it's used is when God called Abraham to go to the place I will show you. And the second time it's used is when God says, go to the region of Moriah. The only two places um, uh, that, that God uses those words are the bookends of Abraham's story. And we are meant to notice that. We are meant to make the connection and recognize the framing that is going on. Both of those required a step of faith. But the difference is, is that the first time God was a stranger to Abraham. Now God has proven himself true and faithful and Abraham trusts him implicitly. God will provide the sacrifice. And Abraham, I'm sure, is thinking, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why God is doing this, but he is faithful. He will provide. He always has, and he always will. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament actually reveals to us what is going on in the mind of Abraham. We look to Hebrews chapter 11, the the great uh, uh, roll call of faith, it's called sometimes. And we learn this about Abraham. It says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so what we see there is that in in Abraham's thinking, he was saying to himself, I don't know what God is doing, but even if I were to kill my, my son, God could bring him back from the dead. God would bring him back from the dead. Folks, it, it's it's... And we'll see this better in a minute, I think. It's no coincidence that Abraham, in the moment of his greatest testing and the moment of God's greatest provision, we are also introduced, granted, behind the scenes to the resurrection power of our God. That God has the power to bring the dead to life again. And so the story continues in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provides a sacrifice so that Abraham does not have to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? And we discover that he is truly and forever, the Hebrew words Yahweh Yira, or the Latinized verb uh, way of saying it, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, or the Lord who provides. And so, Verse 15 tells us that the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. 
and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as of the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham has passed the test. Abraham is rewarded and the lesson is learned. The gospel, though, is encapsulated in the story of Abraham. And that's what I want you to see the second thing. The the test is over, but the type is still there. The type is still before us. Although it's in the background, it is foreshadowed in the story. It may be very clear to us now that we have 2020 hindsight vision, but, but again, a full understanding as, as the patriarchs and, and the people of Israel read this story, what was going on would come in image by image, uh, shadow by shadow over the next 1500 years. Abraham's descendants would go into slavery in the land of Egypt, just as God had promised that they would. And Abraham um, his people, as they went down and, and lived there for, for centuries and his descendants living there long afterwards, they would experience the curse of God and the cost of sin. And that would all be depicted in a new ceremony, that of the Passover. A spotless lamb would be required and the blood of its sacrifice would mark the doorposts so that God's people um, in their homes, that death that night would pass over them, that their firstborn sons, their beloved sons, would not have to die. The sacrificial system, first in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there in Jerusalem, there on Mount Moriah, would continue that foreshadowing. Each day at sunrise and at sunset for centuries, a male lamb without spot or blemish would be sacrificed so that the people of Israel might live. And then when we arrive at the New Testament, we read of how God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son, his beloved son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, if we had been paying attention, we would have known that God was going to do these things by reading the Old Testament. If we were paying attention to the story that the Old Testament was telling, we could have seen these things played out before us. Because truly, the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets and the Psalms attest to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We knew because God chose Abraham in grace. He loved him and protected his people. He has condescended to accept a substitute in our place. He has covenanted with us to provide that very substitute for us by not demanding a sacrifice of our sons, but willfully and faithfully offering up his own son as the sacrifice. And so John the Baptist reveals to us Jesus' true identity as Jesus approaches John for baptism. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the ram caught in the thicket. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus died so that your sons and daughters would be spared, that you yourself might be spared. 
And in his death, in his sacrifice, hell and sin and Satan and the grave do not get the last laugh because Jesus Christ is risen that he victoriously raises from the dead. Why? Because he is the true and better Adam. He is the true and promised Isaac. He is the true and faithful Israel of God. And he doesn't stay dead because he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is risen and he is reigning even now. And God invites you this day to believe that message. To agree with God about the wickedness of your sin and to turn from it. To trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone to save you through his perfect life and his substituting death and his victorious resurrection. And to follow him in obedience. This is the truth that we stake our lives on that we stake our hopes on, that we stake our eternities on. Praise be to God in Christ alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, what you have done is marvelous. It is too wonderful for us. God, what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, sending your perfect, sinless son to live and die in our place. God, we are unworthy. God, there is nothing about us that would warrant your goodness or your graciousness to us. Nothing that would warrant your love or mercy to us. God, we are simple and flawed and frail. God, we are rebellious and wicked Father, we fall short so many times, but God, your great love for us, your great mercy to us, your great grace shown to us, God, your great sacrifice in the coming of your son in his dying for us. God, we thank you and we praise you. God, I pray for everyone listening. Um, I pray for those who are joining us by Facebook and by Zoom. Father, that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to the message of the gospel, that they would know Jesus Christ truly as their Lord and Savior, that they would trust in nothing else, not in their works, not in their goodness, not in their decency, not in their religion. God, only trusting in Jesus Christ to save and that they would turn from their sins and enter into a relationship with you. Father, work in people's hearts, stir up their, their affections, God, stir up their, um, their understanding, God, make them recognize that a life without Jesus Christ is a life without hope. God, do your work, draw people to yourself. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am yours, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, Fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Amen. Uh, I hope you've had a great uh, Resurrection Sunday. Um, I hope that you uh, got to enjoy some times of worship on online, um, and uh, I hope you've uh, gotten to, to to contact family and to um, just share um, uh, a word of encouragement um, and a word of hope um, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. That is the hope that we have. And so thank you for joining us. Um, hear this benediction um, as we depart. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
the peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Have a good evening.